Oh, it's so good when uh, you see the fruit happening. Amen. And speaking of fruit, let's jump in. If you have your sermon notes, pull those out. Um, we're going to pray together, and then we'll jump in today's uh, message. So, Jesus, thank you for the word today, and I pray, God, as um, I share your word, that it would penetrate our hearts, and we would forever be changed by your word. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. All right, sermon notes. If you don't have sermon notes, uh, I hope that we're not out, but you can lift your hands, and an usher will bring one to you if you need a sermon notes to follow along today. All right, so let's jump into this. Uh, just recap kind of the heart of this whole series, and uh, it's the idea that rootedness leads to fruitfulness, and I already put that at the top of your sermon notes for you, and that is the whole point of this, that in order for a plant to produce fruit, it has to be rooted first, and so the very first week, we, we planted these, and they're still doing well. Aren't they doing well? They're not dead yet. I'm doing good. We're doing good. Me and my wife, are so proud of ourselves, and um, so... Uh, today, I want to talk to you about producing fruit, and I don't know if you know this, but the whole point of a fruit tree is to bear fruit, and so here's what I titled the sermon, Fruit Trees Bear Fruit. Fruit trees bear fruit, right? That is what these uh, little plants eventually are supposed to do, is produce a crop, and if they don't, they failed, right? They're just not doing their job and they get thrown out to the trash, right? Because they didn't do what they're created to do. All right, so fruit trees bear fruit. If you have your Bible, John 4 is where we're mainly going to be. I'll jump around a little bit, but mainly in John chapter 4. This is, of course, is the story of the woman at the well. And I'm gonna skip to the part where Jesus meets this woman, talks to her. They have a great conversation, great dialogue. He leads her openly, kind of opens her eyes to who he is. The disciples are off grabbing some food because they're hungry and they come back with some food for Jesus and uh, Jesus has a food that they knew nothing about. And this is where we're gonna pick it up in John chapter four, verse 34. All right, Jesus explains to them, these disciples come back, here's some food. And he says, not hungry, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. The most satisfying thing for Jesus was doing the will of his father. This statement, if you would, throws some light on John 4, 4, where it simply says that he had to go through Samaria to meet this woman. Like his nourishment, uh, just like food nourishes us, his, his was all about doing the will of his father. This is what gave his soul some food, right? Then he makes a familiar statement to the current Jewish followers, not so maybe familiar with you, but certainly familiar with them. In verse 35, he says, you know the saying, this, that's the hint that this is a Jewish proverb. This isn't a proverb that you'll find in Proverbs. This is more of a common statement that they would have said. Four months between planting and harvest. And then he says, but I say, wake up, look around. The fields are ready, already ripe for harvest. I bring light on that right there. That's really important, this little statement, four months between planting and harvest. In other words, the proverb in Jewish culture, agricultural society, is like there's a point where there's no point of trying to rush the process. There's just a reality, no particular hurry. You're gonna have to wait for the crop. You know, because you, you plant it, and then there's a degree of just you kinda have to wait. And this is the statement that they would have said to one another. There's not much we can do. Hope the rain comes, hope the sunlight sheds on, and eventually it just kind of grows. I kind of pay attention to it for a little bit, but there's a degree and a point of waiting. But Jesus is saying, not so much in this case, the fields are already ripe for harvest. If you read the New King James Version, it says they're white for harvest. 
Why? Because the, the reaping of the grain would have been white. So he's like, look around. The harvest is ready now. Likely he's referencing people who are coming to see him. We see this in John 4.30, just a few verses back. It says they came out of the town and made their way toward him. So if you could imagine maybe for the sake of the conversation that Jesus is seeing people coming down from a mountainside or coming around a corner or something that where he sees them and he says, look, they're coming now. The time is now. Here they come. And he's saying the time is now. We don't need to wait. Verse 36, the harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is people. That's really important. If you have a Bible and I love to highlight stuff or put that there, kind of circle the word people. Okay, the harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. So here Jesus is speaking to bearing fruit and he's speaking to regarding the eternal destination of people. That this is bearing fruit. In fact, in John 12, Jesus also references the same idea in verse 24. John 12, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. In the context of John 12, 24, Jesus is speaking to his own death and resurrection. And he's saying a seed has to get buried. A seed will die without a shell cracks open. We learn about that. The seed dies, but eventually life springs up and produces fruit. Jesus is using the same with his own uh, life. He's saying, I'm going to have to get buried, come back up to life. But as a result, it'll produce fruit among the world. Of course, referencing the eternal destination of people. Write this in your note, two types of fruit bearing. And I just want to bring clarity to something. One is the character like Jesus. Okay? And the second is leading people to Jesus. So let me just unpack why I put that into our notes so that we understand this. In Christian conversations sometimes, people say, well, it's bearing fruit is Galatians 5, you know, self-control, peace, love, gentleness, kindness, and all of that. It's, it's the fruit of the Spirit. That's what, you know, the fruit is. It's fruit of the Spirit. And that is partially true. In some contexts, clearly in Galatians, Paul is talking about character development or Christ-likeness. No question that the fruit of our life should produce Christ-likeness, that that is fruit. But scripture is also clear, as you see in John 4 and John 12, that fruit also has to do with bringing people to Jesus. Both are important to bring to understanding that leading people to Jesus is bearing fruit, just like Christ's likeness bears fruit in our character. And eventually, I think the two go together, right? Because if you are like Christ, you will lead people to Christ. I mean, this is kind of one of those things. So both are important to understand. That way, you know, we don't get tossed to one side. No, it's just the fruit about your character. No, or it's just about bringing people to Jesus. No, it's both. Both are important when it comes to understanding the fruit or bearing fruit in our lives as Christians. So if you go back to verse 36, uh, Jesus says there's great joy for both the planter and the harvester. And then he continues with the same thought in verse 37. He says, you know the saying, another saying, of course, one plants and another harvests. And it's true. And that's really, really important. In verse 38, he says, I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work. I'm going to highlight that word work. And now, and, uh, now you will get together the harvest. So here's a couple things with this verse that I think are key to kind of draw out of it. Jesus emphasizes that it's not always the one who first tells someone about salvation who brings them to full commitment to Christ. That's the, the reality of our walk with God. Oftentimes it comes later on in life, but no matter who reaps, 
God gets the reward. God gets the credit for it. The truth is when it comes to seeing people come to Christ, some days we will labor and nothing will show for it. You ever talk to somebody about the Lord, prayed for somebody, and you do that for you know, days or weeks or years, and it's like this isn't getting anywhere, and you wonder, is this, am I ever going to see the fruit of the labor? I've been trying to invite somebody. Any of you ever been invited? You've invited somebody once, twice, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 20 times. You've been inviting them for two years, trying to get them to not just a church, but ultimately to Jesus, but you're trying to get them involved in a local church family, and it's like, God, we don't see this pay off. And the reality is, Jesus says it's true that sometimes you just won't and you never will. But it doesn't mean that that never will occur or never happen. We can take heart and rejoice, trusting and knowing that our sowing isn't wasted. I want you to know that your sowing isn't wasted. That God will use the sowing all the time. A story I'll share with you this past week. Um, unfortunately, one of the teenagers that I was a youth pastor for almost, you know, almost 10 years, so nine years, and uh, one of the students uh, passed away recently. And so heard about it through social media, but um, ended up reaching out, you know, and kind of texting and, or, you know, that kind of thing, and got messaged back. And just, we kind of had these encouraging words, and, and I haven't heard from this family in years, you know, and, and they haven't heard from me, no, nothing like that, just kind of one of those things. But the message back to me was very clear. Hey, meant a lot to our life, meant a lot to the, to the individual who passed away. Uh, she loved you. We love you. So thankful for the years and what you did in our lives. And for me, as a youth pastor at the time, in now today, you know, many years later, oftentimes at, at my stage of life and where I am in ministry, I wonder sometimes, did, did that do any good? All that stuff that happened so long ago, did, did it, was there any fruit of that? And I, don't, I hardly ever get to see the fruit of the labor that went into the student ministry. I, I rarely see that. But when I do, I'm like, ah, it's fantastic. And knowing that this individual loved the Lord and even all her profile was all about the Lord and Jesus and I kind of went to her social media page and just saw how much she loved Jesus and I thought, man, and it's not like I did something. No, there's so many people involved in that. But it's encouraging to know that, gosh, that sowing wasn't in vain. The sowing wasn't wasted. I didn't get to necessarily see the fruit, you know, and we don't always get to see that, but we gotta know that the sowing isn't wasted. That's so important. And I wanna read this line that I read and start part of our study, but it says, many ministers succeed not by their own force or merits, but because of some men and women who lived and preached and died. That's important. And left an influence which was greater than their absence than in their presence. Did you hear that? I'll read that again. Their, their influence was greater in their absence than in their presence. The reason why I think that's important to understand is just so you know, there are times you sow seed, but the fruit won't come until many years later after you're gone. After you've passed from this earth and gone with Christ, then the fruit begins to bear. It's like a, a tree that's planted that someone else enjoys 25 years later. We talked about redwoods at the beginning of this series and talking about, man, look how big they grow and wow, people travel and take photos with these redwoods or different things. You just think about how things are enjoyed 20, 30, 40 years later by people, but it was planted by somebody many, many years ago. I heard this in ministry and it's true. And I think it's in true uh, to wherever you do ministry or how we minister as a church. Every single one of you is not from my seed sowing alone. There's been cultivation happening throughout your whole life. 
people, friends, uh, people around, neighbors, other pastors. Been in there. You've been to kids' ministry, children's ministry, different things. There's been so much sowing into your life. And occasionally, as a church, like next week on baptism, we get to see the harvest of that. But make no mistake about it, it's not just me. It's not just one church. It's not just one thing. No, it's so much that goes into that. And I think that's so important to recognize. And if you really want to take it back, it starts back with Abraham. And it starts back with Joshua and all the things that they did to pave the path that we could see the benefit of the harvest, which is what Jesus is alluding to when he's talking to his disciples. But everybody rejoices when somebody comes to faith. It's also interesting the word he uses for the word work that we just referenced a minute ago back in verse 38. The word work is a Greek word that simply meant to be wearied or watch this, to be, to take a beating. To take a beating. You ever felt like you're trying to lead someone to Christ and it feels like a beating? It's gonna be hard work. There's a spiritual beating that we must be willing to endure to win lost people to Christ. And here's why I say that to you, and I, I say that today talking about serve teams, because I know there are times when your sowing can be exhausting. If you just go out and you just sow, 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 it is exhausting. Um, anybody have, I have a pet peeve. This is not in my notes, but I'm going to share my pet peeve. I'm wondering if anybody's like me. You have, you know, your driveway. You know you have, you have the cracks in the driveway? Anybody know what I'm talking about? The separation and all the sidewalks. You have little pieces of grass that grow there. Anybody have that irritation? It is, an, it is an annoying pet peeve of mine when other my neighbors let them grow. I hate it. I can't stand it. I'm like, guys, somebody just pull that thing out. Is that anybody else annoyed by the little piece of grass? All right, so, but have you noticed, you know, you go down there and you pull it up and then like the black stuff comes with it, you know, or the dirt comes with it. Anybody? No? You pay people to do this, don't you? You're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, yeah. I was talking to a friend of ours last Sunday. We were just chatting, and I said, I can't pay people something that I could do myself, so I, I mow my own grass still. Hey, man, look at me. All right, I don't know. I know all you, it's probably, but here's why I say that to you. The point is, getting on my hands and knees, going down, picking every single thing up, it's, it's, it's just exhausting. Eat sometimes, putting a garden together, it's exhausting sometimes. And I say this wholeheartedly, and I know it's true. You're setting up and tearing down the church? Exhausting. AC's been broken. Exhausting. You, you, you serve kids week after week after week after week with little volunteer support. It's exhausting. I just want to encourage you with something. Your sowing is not in vain. You keep sowing and you keep sowing and you keep sowing. And Jesus says, yes, there is a day that you will reap the harvest. But here's the truth. You may not see that here but you will see it one day. And if you think about that, you just keep sowing that one day when you stand in heaven and you see the people and say, look at the fruit of the labor. And you will not ever once in heaven say, look at what I've done. Did you guys see how much fruit I produced? It'll be all glory to Jesus, amen? So your sowing is not in vain. All right, I'm gonna give you four requirements for bearing fruit. Number one, sowing. You cannot bear fruit. A tree cannot bear fruit if it isn't sown. Yeah, you've got to sow the seed. If you want to see fruit, you have to plant it. You have to get planted. That's the truth. That's, we see that in Matthew 13. You say, Ricky, what does the role of sowing look at my life? And this is why I want to bring it real practical for you. How do I sow spiritually? What does that look like? All right, write this in your notes. We sow through sharing testimony. I'll tell you why I say that. If you go back to John 4, uh, this woman 
hears Jesus, she meets Jesus, and the first thing she does is what? Goes and tells. She begins to share with people about what Christ has done in her life, and then they come back to hear Jesus for themselves. You sow seed by sharing testimony. How does that look? Real practical. Man, I was at church the other day, and a person up there talking, and this isn't about me, of course, but the person up there was saying something, God, God spoke so clearly to me. Man, this church has blessed us so much recently. Okay, don't wanna talk about the church. Man, this past week I was doing a prayer and I asked God to do something, then he did it, and it was just pretty cool, pretty cool what happened. Or you go with social media, you know, man, I wanna requote what was said. I wanna share something that God is doing in my life. Man, my whole life has changed. There are so many ways that you can just throw and scatter seed in your life. Here's my point. You don't have to have a Bible degree. You don't have to know every single verse in the Bible. You don't have to know how to exactly perfectly present the gospel to somebody to cast seed out. I want you to understand that. It is so easy to fling seed, to share what God is doing in your life. And I will tell you, if you've never done that, when you first do it, it's gonna feel scary. It's gonna feel intimidating. What are they gonna say about me? What are they gonna think about me? What standard are they gonna hold me to? Yep, that's true. There's a degree of faith that you have to walk in. It's gonna be a little uncomfortable maybe. But I'm telling you, that's how we simply sow seed. Just share your testimony. Share what God is doing in your life. Amen? Real simple, real practical. All right, that's how you sow it. Number two, Cultivating. Fruit requires cultivation. Cultivation is how a farmer takes care of the crops. You plant it, but you gotta cultivate it. If you wanna produce a harvest, it's gonna take continuous cultivation. So you say, you know, Ricky, what does that look like? How, how do I cultivate? I've, I've sown a seed, I've told them, not just about Jesus, but I've told them what God is doing. They know I'm a Christian, I wear the bracelet. I mean, all kinds of ways you can throw seed out, okay? Whatever it might be. So I'm flinging seed. How do I cultivate them? I want them to come to faith. They're not coming yet, but I want them to. How do I cultivate it? What does that look like? I'll give you three things. Write these in your notes. Number one, prayer. You pray for them. You pray for them. You pray for them. Two, you love them. You'll see this in John, uh, if you keep reading uh, through John 15, you'll see this, certainly. Uh, you'll see this in John 12. You'll see it in John 4. But if you just love them, you just love for them, you, you do life with them, you're there for them, you encourage them, you just try to cultivate it so when they're around you, they sense there's something unique or different about you, okay? You love them, you don't lie to them, all right? Don't think I'm gonna sow seed and then I'm gonna lie to them and then I'm gonna invite them to church and they're gonna come, does that make sense? Like you just love them and you care for them and you're honest with them and you're there for them and you support them. You you. Bring gifts to them. Think about it. So many ways you can cultivate the seed. And the third thing is simply inviting them into high potential environments. Let me say why I put that down, okay? This is important. If you want to sow a seed into somebody, then you just invite them into a high potential environment. That's what this is. It's a celebration, glory to God from the local body, but really it's just a high potential environment, somebody to encounter God's presence, you're just putting them in kind of a, a certain amount of soil. You're, you're just putting them in an environment to get some sunlight on them or to bring some water into their life. So you, you invite them into high potential environments. Some of the most uh, powerful moments of my life are moments that happen during worship. And when I say worship, I'm alluding to, yes, songs and lyrics. 
I can't tell you how many times I've been touched or moved by God or called by God to do something or shown something in times right here on a Sunday morning when the band is playing. Haven't preached a thing, but God is moving and God is speaking through worship. Just by a show of hands, how many of you ever felt like, man, God poured into me during songs, just during music? Raise your hands. Andrews, look around the room. Band, look around the room. I, listen, put your hands down. I've been to churches. I'm not knocking churches. I'm, I'm just, everybody's different. Where they have five minutes of worship, 10 minutes of worship. For me, we can worship all day long. I'll be good. I don't have to preach. Because I know God speaks through worship. His presence comes when people praise him. And then his presence just goes to work. In his presence is when God does the most cultivating. You get in his presence, he will cultivate you. He will go to work on you. That's why we worship for the first 25, 30 minutes, and I know sometimes longer, and you're like, goodness, when are we going to sit down? I don't want to sit down. We don't sit down until me and Andrews kind of give a nod to one another. You ready to sit down? You're good? We're good? What we're, really, what we're really trying to understand, every week me and Andrews do this, okay? But the reason why this happens, what we're really trying to figure out, is he done cultivating? Because he's cultivating. He's moving. He's doing something. Let him go to work. He's the gardener. Amen. All right, so show up on time. Let's worship. Okay, moving on. So we love to worship. We love to worship, okay? We love it. All right, number three, harvesting. Harvesting, okay? Someone has to pick the fruit. If you're gonna enjoy it, you gotta harvest it. All right, you could sow it, you could cultivate it, but you're gonna have to harvest it. You gotta pluck it off, right? So what does that look like? How do you harvest when I sow a seed into somebody, that's what I'm talking about, follow me on this, I sow a seed, I share the testimony, I'm trying to invite them, I'm trying to encourage them, I'm praying for them, I'm loving them, okay? I'm trying to invite them into high potential environments, okay? But the harvest comes. How does that look? How do I, how do I harvest this? Here's what you do, write this in your notes. We harvest through celebrating commitment. You think about where it says that the angels in heaven rejoice when one sinner repents and turns to Christ. Right? Angels in heaven rejoice over that. You celebrate the commitment. You come alongside them. You buy them a Bible. You, you support them. You help them take their next step into the commitment. Get, get in a serve team. Get plugged into a church. Whatever that might be. If a person you're ministering to or sharing the gospel with or whatever it might be, maybe lives in a different state, you celebrate the commitment and then you get them plugged in somewhere. You celebrate that commitment. You come alongside. By the way, that's why we as a church don't ever pass by the baptism happening and go to your car. Stop and celebrate the commitment that's happening. Celebrate the commitment. This isn't nothing. This is life change. Eternal life changes are happening next week. Come, celebrate the commitment. Come alongside them. Amen? All right, so we celebrate the commitment. That's how we harvest it. And the last one, if you want to bear fruit, if you want to bear fruit in your life, number four, most important, I think it all starts here, abiding. Sowing, cultivating, right, harvesting it, but it all begins with abiding. I'll read it fast to you, John 15. Jesus says, I'm the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch, and that bears me uh, no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You already clean, you're already clean because the word I've spoken to you. Verse four, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So the secret to bearing fruit, bringing lost people to Christ, actually begins in abiding. In other words, if you don't lead anyone to Christ, ask yourself the question, are you abiding? And here's the reality. If you abide, the result will be bringing people to Christ. 
This is what Jesus is getting at. Look what he says, verse eight. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now I know you would say, wait a second, he's talking about character. I would push on that all day long. He's only talking about character because of what's written in verse 16. Look what it says. You did not choose me, I chose you and appointed you so that you might, what, go and bear fruit. Oh, so you might go have more patience, so you can be more loving, more kind. Yeah, that's partially true, but that's not the whole truth. Look what he says. I'm talking about, look what he writes, fruit that will last. Fruit that will last. Eternal life. I'm talking about fruit that will go on forever. Eternal life. People. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command to love each other. Jesus simply says that his plans for seeing the fruit of the cross being born through our ministry of his disciples, we abide to produce fruit to see other people come to Christ. Write this down in your notes. The result of abiding is producing. When you abide, you produce spiritual fruit, character likeness, absolutely. But it's also leading other people to Christ. And here's why I think that matters so much. It is so easy to make our walk about abiding without producing. It's so tempting at times to think that our life as a Christ follower, that we try to, man, I'm gonna abide so that I will spiritually grow. That is true. We do want you to spend time with the Lord. I do believe you spend time with the Lord and you abide in him and get with him, remain in him, and you will produce Christ-likeness in your life. But the point of you producing Christ-likeness is not so that you go to heaven, it's so that you bring others with you to heaven. The, the whole point is to bring somebody with you. So don't be all comfortable, casual Christian thinking I'm remaining all day, but I bring no one to the Father. I don't think that makes the Father proud and pleased. We show ourselves by his disciples by bringing others with us. Now think about this and how this works practically. You go back to a plant. He says, hey, if you're connected to the vine, you will bleed out what I produce. So if this is a tomato plant, or if it's a jalapeno plant, because we like jalapenos, or if it's banana pepper plant, okay, that's what it's going to produce. So did Jesus produce fruit that resulted into eternal life? And the answer is yes. Because when he buried himself in the ground and rose from the dead, the fruit that was produced was you, eternal salvation. So if we remain in him and you're connected to him and we produce what he produces, we too will produce People into eternal life, not through our death and resurrection, but through his. Do you see how this works? So the question then should bear it, and I think it's fair for every Christian, including myself, are you leading people to Christ? If not, what vine are you connected to? The result of being a part of his vine is fruit bearing, not just character development. That's good, Christ-likeness is good, but it doesn't stop there. My challenge to us is to understand that the point of producing Christ-likeness should spill out and bleed over into loving other people so they can come to know what you came to know, right? Last couple thoughts on this. Two things that must occur for leading people into a transformational relationship with Jesus, which of course is our mission statement, to lead people into a transformational relationship with Jesus. 
But two musts have to happen. Number one, the person must hear the testimony of someone else. Chances are someone invited you, told you about a church or about Jesus or about something God is doing in their life. It began like the woman at the well. It began with somebody just sharing their story in some capacity. Or you saw something on social media or you, whatever it may be. But it begins with hearing about Jesus and what Jesus is doing in your life. I find it to be true in all my years of ministry. For the most part, that's true. It starts with hearing the testimony of someone else. Hey, I go to this church. It's, it's awesome, man. This is great. Cool. And then the conversation begins. Just hearing the testimony of others or what God is doing in your life. Number two, hearing Jesus for themselves. We all know that to come to Christ at some point, you have to hear Jesus for yourself, which is exactly what these people do who come off the mountain when Jesus is giving this kind of teaching to his disciples. The woman shares the story. They came back and they believed. Why? Because they heard him for themselves. All they did was, all she did was create a story. Sarah, hey, let me just say what God did in my life. They come to hear, investigate, high potential environment. Jesus speaks life change. Two things that mostly happen, I would say, outside of some really God-powerful moments in certain different situations that have to do with leading people to transformational relationship with Jesus. All right, we bring people to church to bring people to Jesus. I just want to clear that up. You don't bring people to church just to grow a church, no. You bring people to church to bring people to Jesus. That's all it is. It's an environment to bring people to Christ. I sat with a pastor friend of mine this week over a cup of coffee and uh, felt like the Lord wanted me to text him. I, I literally, I was like, okay, so I start to text him and drive, and I should never do that. It's terrible. And, uh, but, but it was Jesus, so I did it. So I, <laughs> this is a terrible excuse. Um, but I, I sent him a text. I, was, I think I was at a stoplight because I tried not texting drive. But I was at a stoplight. I sent him a text message. And, uh, and so I'm like, hey, man, how you doing? You know, one of those things kind of felt like a little nudge in my heart. It's a true story. So then this happened like on Monday or Tuesday. So I do that, and uh, I'm driving, uh, it takes a right, I go down this uh, road, and then on the left-hand side is his office, it's where he, his church is. And I was like, ah, oh. and I didn't kind of connect the dots kind of where I was and where he was at the time. And so I was like, wow, I didn't realize his, his you know, church was so close to this coffee shop. So I'm going to this coffee shop, and then uh, I text him. He texts me back, man, I was just thinking about you. You won't believe this, da, da, da. You know, and he's like, hey, where are you headed? I was like, oh, I'm headed to coffee. I was like, oh, yes, two minutes from my office. I'm like, no, I just passed. So we're having this conversation. So he comes and meets me for coffee. We're sitting down over coffee, and he starts saying, I said, what are you preaching on? What are you preaching on? I'm kind of sharing my heart, what he's saying. You know, I was like, man, we're sharing the same thing about how, you know, the church has to be called to grow and reach people for Christ. And so we kind of were like, well, that's encouraging one another. And then he made this statement. He goes, and I feel like God's saying something. He's like, and I, and I always feel like, you know, like embarrassed as a pastor when that happens. And when you're sitting with another pastor, I'm like, what? I didn't hear anything. What? what, what? You know, <laughs> you know what? And uh, it just humbles me really fast, you know, and he's like, man. And he makes a statement, and I, and I wrote it down the best I can to try to remember it. He says, um, he says uh, how do I write it? He says, he goes, man, he, he began to tell me, this is what I wrote, that we as a church here, we're going to see hundreds of people come to faith. This is the same guy who actually passed by this road before we ever planted in this building. And he said, man, Ricky, where are you at? I said, we're, we're, we're trying to move locations because we're being removed from Odessa Elementary, but now we're having to shift over here. He said, it's so funny. When we moved over here, he said, I was driving on Sunlake Boulevard and I was praying for revival. Praise God that your church is going there. That's before we got here. And then he says, man, hundreds of people are gonna come to your church and they're gonna come to Christ through that church. I can see it, Ricky. And then he says, I wanna see a growth of 
we can't explain. That's what another pastor tells me. I want to see a growth that you can't explain. And he said that, and my heart leaped. And I thought, gosh, that just, that just hits me. Why? I want to see growth I can't explain. I want to walk in next week and see a tree with a whole bunch of apples. Does that make sense? Now, I know that that brings tension because the reality is in churches, the tension is, well, what about me? Because I'm a little apple and don't I matter? No one's going to care about me anymore. But you got to understand, when you're connected to the vine, Jesus, he's like, we want to see this thing grow. Why? So you can get bigger. No. So you can build better buildings. No, 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 not to bring more people to Christ. Amen? I got one applause. The same guy who loves softballs, the same guy applauding. Listen, <laughs> heaven's going to be filled. It's going to have a softball and a lot of people. Amen? Do we love to bring people to Christ? This is the whole point. All right, I'm wrapping it up. I'll invite the band on stage. We'll close out. Listen, when the church abides, you say, why do I preach with such passion about this? Why is this so important? Because when the church abides, the church grows. You gotta understand my heart. If I could, sometimes I scream. I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have screamed today, but then I get so passionate. Guys, listen, no, I, my heart, if you're new with us here, you know, part of our church family for a little while, full heart transparency. I have surrendered church growth to God. Man, I cannot make this church. We, you can pull every trick of the book. You try to do it. Listen, I want no credit for church growth. This is not a pastor or a church after church growth. Here's why I am. I, I, I hope, I pray. This was my prayer all week long in the sermon. That you would get this part. You would just go and abide every day. Abide, remain in him. Carve out time for him. Don't be so busy that you don't connect to the vine that brings your soul nourishment. And then you will grow. And he will grow his kingdom. One plants, one waters, God makes it grow. I've settled that verse. My heart is you would just abide. And the result of abiding is producing spiritual fruit in your life and in those around you. As a church... We should see growth. Why? Why are we okay with growth? Why? Why are we okay with the parking lot being full? Why? Because it's a church that's inviting. That's what I hope and pray. Not just inviting, but it's a church that's truly abiding. The question I would probe on you today is, are you abiding? Remaining in him day after day, trusting in who he is, remaining close to him, having dialogue, having conversation. When you have conversation with God, Throughout a week, he will lead you to who he wants you to talk to. If you are ever bored as a Christian, bring someone to faith. If you're ever bored as a Christian, you feel like you're stuck in a spiritual rut, here's a potential reason why. Number one, not abiding. And number two, not producing. You want to challenge your faith? Go tell someone what Jesus has done in your life. And listen to the Holy Spirit for that little nudge and watch what happens. So cool, last, there's three blank lines on the bottom of your notes. So cool, last night. So me and my wife go out to a quick date. We have like a little quick date, dinner thing. Left my 12-year-old in charge. I know, I guess we're crazy. But we really want date nights. So we do what we can. So we took this little time. So I said, hey, I know this is a date night, but do you mind if I go over my sermon with you? I know. 
married to a pastor. She knew what she was getting, okay? So I'm like, I just talked about the sermon, you know? So I'm going over with her. And I give her the sermon. I kind of talk to her about it, you know? You have no idea. This is the Holy Spirit. How bad I need to hear that. And I'm telling you this because as I'm abiding, I feel like the Lord wants me to go through my sermon with my wife on a date night. And I'm thinking as a man, okay, probably not going to get, okay? This isn't going to, Okay. The middle schoolers are like, huh? you know, okay. I'm like, this isn't going to probably end well because I'm talking about work on a date night, but can I bring my sermon? Yeah, yeah. And I can see it on her face kind of like, mm, yeah, sure, okay. She's very supportive. But here's the Holy Spirit. I'm remaining connected. I'm obedient to what he's telling me. So then I begin to tell the sermon. At the end of the sermon, I said, I'm going to have the church write in the names about who they want to see come to Christ. I think it's a dumb idea. That's exactly what I asked her last night. You think it's kind of too pushy? What do you think? Yeah. Pauses. She goes, You won't believe this. And what? She goes, Man, I need to hear this today, Ricky. Gosh. What? Like, I had a plan today to tell our kids and brave kids that I wanted to have them write down three names of who they wanted to bring to Christ. I have no idea. And in that little moment, we were like, that's God? You know, like, I know, I know. For some of you, like, it's not that big of a deal. That's God right there, like, so clearly, like, just to us, right there as a husband and a wife. Went home, went to bed, but still, it was a great night. It was, like, moving. We're like, God is with us. In that moment, he, he was with us, and we knew it. And so she walked into her sermon, ready to go and preach our kids and talk to our kids. I know God is with me. And I came up here today going, I know God is with me because of that little moment. And it all started with abiding. I was remaining in him, connected to the vine, doing what he told me to do, and the fruit was revealed. Does that make sense? I want you to do something. In your, in your notes, there's three blanks. Would you just go ahead and write in right now three names of people you want to see come to Christ? neighbor, if you don't know their name, put the house in the corner. You know, those people, you know, or I don't know. You put boss, employee. Go ahead, write them in, write them in, write them in. In faith, Lord, I want to I wanna bear fruit. I'm going to sow, give me an opportunity to sow. I will cultivate them. If you allow me to see the harvest, I'll celebrate their commitment. And then through all of that, I will remain abiding in you, available to be used by however you determine to bring them to you. Amen. If they live distant, you send them to a local church. Don't tell them just to watch online. Send them to go get to a local body. You celebrate that commitment. If they're here locally, they don't have a church family, you say, come, come to Braveheart. They're going somewhere else. Hey, get plugged into your church, you know, whatever that might be. Does that make sense? Okay, prayer team, come down front. We're going to sing a, a song that lasts about a minute. And the reason why we do that is we want to create space for you. If you need prayer today, come get prayed with. If you want to make a decision for Christ today, there is a blue card in your envelope that says next steps or it says brave steps on it. Okay, maybe it's join a group. Maybe it's give your life to Jesus today. You're like, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to get right with the Lord. I want to be baptized. I know that God is leading me. This is the time produce fruit. I'm going to get baptized next Sunday. You can check that off on that Brave Steps card. And here's what I invite you to do. Come pray with somebody down front as you make that decision. 
Stand to your feet. If you need prayer today, we'll sing one final little song, and then Andrews will dismiss us.